Uh, it's a special time for us, culturally, traditionally, uh, many things to look forward to. Uh, the songs and the movies and the holiday, you know, the actual holidays, decorations, um, maybe some traveling, family. Many cultures around the world uh, celebrate Christmas and have this anticipation as it arrives. That's the feeling I'm talking about today, is that feeling of something coming that you're excited about. Uh, and, you know, in that sense, we were excited about uh, all the different then, you know, the, the whole Santa Claus thing and the Christmas trees and the presents and the holly jolly and the silver bells and, and snow, which we don't get to experience much, but, um, but we like all that stuff. Um, as Christians, uh, we have to do our best to differentiate between the cultural celebration, that stuff, and our faith. Because somewhere along the way, the birth of Jesus and the secular traditions kind of merge together and they kind of run parallel to each other on our calendar. It's not really that difficult to, to tell the difference, and so we can, we can do that. So I don't really harp on that kind of thing. But having said that, uh, the title for the sermon this year for our Christmas series is "'Twas the Night Before." Anybody ever remember singing or, uh, that, that poem? It's like, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas.'" And all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, right? You know, I had to memorize that poem one time uh, when, when I was little, and uh, I still remember some of it, some about Ma and her kerchief and Pa and his cat hat. I don't, I don't know what that's all about, but uh, tearing open the sash, those kind of things. I remember not knowing what that was, but I memorized it. Um, but uh, the, uh, from what I understand, that poem was written 200 years ago this year. In 1823, that poem was written, and it was originally entitled, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Now we call it, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Uh, the intent of that poem, 200 years ago, was to create a story, uh, to create, or to write down a story that was, uh, you know, draw up anticipation, to draw up excitement about the, the night of Christmas Eve. And so for years, this poem was used to generate anticipation, and that poem, in a lot of things I read, was credited with a lot of the modern-day portrayal that we have of, of Santa Claus and in terms of his procedure of how he does things and what he looks like. In fact, I can remember that feeling of excitement because of all those things that were to come. Like It was, a, it was stronger to me as a kid than it is today. Um, but do you remember that anticipation that was coming on Christmas morning? I don't know how that was able to spread so wide, but it's so re you know, relevant to a lot of people understand that feeling and excitement. Um, but I can remember the butterflies, eager expectation of what was to come. Uh, and times have changed, and so I didn't really have visions of sugar plums in my head. I don't even know what that means or why someone would have those visions. But I did have visions of, of Batman up here, right? Right, footballs and those kind of things that I was maybe equivalent to sugar plums, but I could not wait. Uh, this year for our sermon series, it's all about anticipation. Going to try to drum up that feeling of what, what is it? What, that feeling of being excited for something good on the horizon. We're talking about for our faith. On the horizon is hope, and faith, and joy, and peace. And so much of the Christmas story, I'm talking about the Jesus story, 
is set before the arrival of Jesus, and some of it Jesus arrives, but before he accomplishes everything he came to accomplish. It's on the horizon. It's not been fulfilled yet. For years, the church at large has titled this time of year uh, as Advent. Advent. You ever heard that word before? Leading up to Christmas, a celebration of Jesus' birth, Advent. That word comes from a Latin term that means coming. So it's this season of anticipating the coming. And of course, that is the coming of Christ. So it's this feeling, coming soon. It's a season of preparing for the coming of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing as we look at these next few sermons. Waiting, preparing, anticipating. That's the tone of December. And we know that feeling. Traditionally, this is how Advent works. Advent, as, as, uh, as it has happened through the years, each Sunday you would light one of four candles. And so our nativity scene, this was for our candlelight service, but I kind of repurposed this back row here, these white candles, to represent the four candles of Advent. And as we wait, this week we anticipate the coming of Jesus. Today, the candle that we'll be lighting is the candle of hope. So we'll let that sit there. We're going to look at the story of Jesus coming. And we're going to talk about hope this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started uh, with the message. God, we thank you so much for all your many blessings. Thank you for coming, Emmanuel, to be with us. And I pray that as we look at your story again this year and this morning, that we can see hope on the horizon that we can anticipate, have the perspective of what it is we should be hoping for, what can point us to real hope. Prepare our hearts and minds. God, through the Holy Spirit, guide us, convict us, encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a candlelight service every Christmas Eve. I love our candlelight service. Anybody ever been to ours or, or another service like that, a candlelight service? Uh, have you noticed, if you've come to ours, and maybe others do this too, have you noticed when you come, when you first get here, what is the mood of the room? The mood is, it's quiet, it's uh, dark, and you walk in, it's like, this is a candlelight service, why is it so dark in here, right? Um, well, in that moment, when you come in, we're going to be talking about the story of Jesus' birth, and that darkness is how it starts, it's dark. Here's a little bit of a preview of our Christmas Eve service. And uh, it's the first verses that we read as the, as the service begins. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9. I'll read verse 2 and then skip to verse 6 and 7. Isaiah says this. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the tone that we start with 
in the beginning of our candlelight service. It's dark. The story of the whole Old Testament is in this shadow of sin and destruction. Now the promise is out there. God has promised to fix all this, the sin and the darkness and all that. But at the time, they were walking in darkness, just like Isaiah said. But then what did Isaiah prophesy? He said, a great light coming, Advent. It's coming. The story of darkness is very difficult to walk in. But there is hope, right? A child is born. A savior, not just a child. God coming down, he's born. That That is the contrast we're living in. Living in darkness with hope on the horizon. That's how the story begins. In the last verses of the Old Testament, I mean, these are, if you were here a couple weeks ago, Zach preached on the book of Malachi, which is the last book. But the last verses of the last book, the These are the last inspired words of God before a long period of silence and before Jesus comes. Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. This is the last words. It says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Keep those verses in your mind just a little bit. Uh, Those are the last words. One of the things that we know about the nation of Israel as they were waiting for Jesus to come is that they were waiting, they were, they were waiting for this stuff to be fulfilled. They, they They could already understand Isaiah's walking in darkness part. They, they lived that, right? What they were anticipating was the light. They were anticipating the Savior and these verses gave them a lot of hope because as the book of Malachi ends, who do you suppose they were looking for? This is a Jeopardy question, right? If you go back and look at that, it says, I will send the prophet Elijah. And so a lot of the people, as they were waiting for this light to come, they were waiting for Elijah to come. Now, you, you see, Elijah was one of the Mount Rushmore of, of Jewish heroes. You had Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah, probably top four all time. He was a prophet. And unlike any of the other historical, biblical uh, people, his story ends like none other. I'll give you a little bit of taste of that. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And that's the last we see of Elijah. He was walking along with his disciple Elisha, and they were walking and talking, and the story says Elijah was taken up into heaven. It's pretty bizarre. And so Elijah was kind of this mystery of a prophet, someone that uh, really looked up to. And so, especially after these verses from Malachi, the anticipation that Elijah would come back to save them, combined with all the promises of God to take them out of darkness before the candles are lit. And we go through the story and talk about each person in the nativity. They were looking to heaven for hope while living in darkness. Let's keep going a little bit. As you crack open the Christmas story, you, you know Luke chapter 1 is a really good place to start if you wanted to read the Christmas story. You might ask yourself, you might wonder why, why is the story of John the Baptist mixed into the Christmas story? Right? Luke chapter 1, if you're to get there, before we read the story of Mary and the angel coming and then Joseph and the, the shepherds and the wise men, all the things we're familiar with with the Christmas story, 
there's this story of Jesus' cousin and his mom and dad, Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist, uh, and we, we might think it's odd because John or Zechariah or Elizabeth, they never make the nativity scene. I mean, maybe yours has a unique version, but you rarely, if ever, see them in the nativity, um, but they don't make the cut for whatever, the wise men make the cut, they don't make the cut, um, but, uh, you know, they, they were right there in the mix. Before an angel of the Lord came to Mary, he came to Zechariah. I want to read that story, Luke chapter 1, verse 11. So then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Now we're used to the story, you will call him Jesus when he's talking to Mary. But this story is right in there, you will call him John. You see, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were not able to have children. Uh, they were older, but God had a bigger plan than they realized. Then the angel goes on to explain the, the character and the person of John, their, the baby that they're going to have. And this is what the angel says about John the Baptist and who he'll be. Verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I don't know if you're following me here. But did that sound familiar to the last verses of Malachi? where it describes John and how he, who he's going to be. You line those verses up with those last verses of Malachi. Elijah's coming. John's coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He'll turn their parents to their children. You, you put those right beside each other. You realize John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Interesting. Here they were expecting Elijah to, to come, to return. Or maybe they were thinking Elijah would be the Messiah, the Savior, and come to find out, God does things in a way I can't predict. Go figure. Right? That's a lesson for all of us to learn as we try to predict things going forward. Anyways, one of the reasons I know that the people were expecting Elijah is because of the other things that we read about in the Gospels. Like when John got older and he was preaching and doing his things, and even after he was executed, there's some things that were talked about. And I'll, I'll read one of those verses. One time the disciples were talking to Jesus. The disciples asked him, Why do, then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. All right. So I don't know if you're following here, but just, just Jesus told us, one, what the people, the Jews were expecting Elijah. Yes, they were, that's what they were expecting. And two, he's making sure the disciples understand John the Baptist was him. I'm not talking about some kind of reincarnation or John the Baptist in another body. I'm talking about we it did it different than they expected. He came with the spirit and power of Elijah. He was Elijah 
ish. And that's who he sent. Also, we know that they were expecting Elijah. There was another time when Jesus brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And he was going to teach them. And he started with this question that you might be familiar with. He said to them, who are people saying that I am? Who do people say that I am? And what was the first answer that his disciples gave? They said, well, some people say you are Elijah. Because that was the going expectation. Elijah will come to save us. And so I'm just helping you to put some of these pieces together as we look at John the Baptist. So let's go back to the Christmas story. The angel has come to Zechariah. You're going to have a child. You're going to name him John. All right. This is the first time that we have record that God sent a new message to the people of God. Ever since the 400 years ago in Malachi, this is the moment when God comes in again, sends a messenger, and Zechariah is the first to hear it. The light is on the horizon. This is the first glimpse they get of it. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and here we have it. Now, I want us to try and summon the anticipation. It's hard if you've ever heard this story before to kind of get back into it and realize the magnitude of sitting in that moment in a season of darkness, wondering what God's going to do in the future, and then the light comes, and then it's like... It's coming. It's here. It's on its way. When Gabriel, the angel in the next coming verses, comes back, and this time he comes to talk to Mary. He comes to Mary, and in the middle of this story of John the Baptist, if you're reading in Luke, before the story of Mary and the angel, and after the story of Mary and the angel, is John the Baptist's story. All right? In fact, there's some in the middle of, of Mary's story. Uh, um, and it just tells me that this story of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist, it's important. I'm actually, you know, we should start a petition to get Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist in our nativity because they are certainly a part of it. Uh, Do you realize that John's birth is a miracle as well? I mean, it's not the only miraculous birth in this story. It's not a virgin birth, but still, while Gabriel was explaining to Mary how this was going to happen, she's a virgin, how am I, how, what are the mechanics, like what's going to, how is this possible? Uh, she, he, she, uh, Gabriel takes a second to, to help Mary know, you're not the only one that is, is pregnant. Six months ago, your, your old aunt Elizabeth got pregnant. I'll read that, sto- that part of the story. In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, And the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now you call it what you want, but God made this happen. The timing, the purpose, and if you're not familiar with it, and, and I had to be... Remind, like, why is John the Baptist in this story? Like, he and his parents right in the midst of this. But, but so, so who is John the Baptist? Who is John the Baptist and, and why is he in this story? When he grows up and he starts doing his ministry and preaching, he's going to be known as the man who prepares the way for the Lord. That's kind of his shtick. 
That's his, his thing. He's going to be the one. He's going to be like the hype man for Jesus. He gets people ready. He starts talking, turning people back to God. And then as they, he starts to gain a following, he's got this platform kind of already started. He's going to be like, no, it's not me. He starts pointing people to Jesus. And so he prepares the way, teaching and preaching on repentance, and then points them to the real deal. Um, But uh, John is, his whole life is that ministry, to point people to the real hope. He did that even before he was born. In the womb, in his mother's belly, it says that John recognizes Jesus, which is odd. Let's just admit, when you hear something like that, that's an odd thing you know, to, to think about. John was still in his mother's womb, and Mary came to visit Elizabeth. Now, Mary has just conceived, and so Jesus, at that point, is just a you know, very small, a bundle of cells. He's just starting to multiply inside and, and grow into... But, but as young as Jesus is, watch what happens when the two meet. Within their mother's wombs. In John chapter, I mean Luke 1, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. So, from the very beginning, before he's even taken his first breath, John the Baptist is pointing people to see Jesus as the Messiah. First person being his mother, who was carrying him. This is why John the Baptist is what I choose to represent the Advent uh, season of hope. He's a great example of something we all need to understand, that pointing people to see Jesus, that is the greatest method of spreading hope. It is the greatest method Man, do I forget this. I forget, I mean, I'm a preacher and I preach this kind of stuff all the time. But then when I get interacting with people, like, I forget this. Like, people will come and they'll be discouraged or someone will ask me for help or looking for hope or in a really low place in their life and I just feel like I fail to give them hope. And they just get, they stay stuck in it or they come back and they get back into the despair and I, I forget where hope comes from. And I start giving practical solutions. Well, have you considered this organization? Or have you considered making, you know, let's talk about decisions or how are you feeling and trying to talk through these things with our human strategies of trying to get your hope and get your life back in this. And I forget oftentimes, Jesus is where I need to be pointing them. He is hope. And all those things I try to come up with to try to help somebody, or you try to come up, or try to self-talk myself into hope when I'm down, uh, forgetting, I should find a way. I should find a way to point them to Jesus. Figure it out. You know, and I don't want to do it in some kind of shallow way. Not that this is shallow, but sometimes we can be like, well, I'm praying for you. You know, like, turn to Jesus. Like, that's the correct answer, but finding a way to... Make sure that I grow into finding the words to talk about who Jesus is and why he points people to hope and how that can come into practice. I've got to find a better way. But sometimes my brain's not even in that gear. Jesus is hope. And I'm trying to find how to help you make more money. 
or like get a job or find a place to live. And like those are things like, yeah, those are immediate needs. It's like, but why did I forget to point you to Jesus? That is the source of hope. We've got to take notes from this pre-born John the Baptist and point people to hope. Jesus, he leaped inside of his mother's belly doing everything that his little body could do in his premature state to make it known that they're right in Mary. That it's hope. It's Jesus. He's here. And obviously, that little baby, I don't even know if it, has, it wasn't thinking. This is God working through this child, which is pretty much what he would need to do through me. And whatever method that I find out how to do it, it's just God working through me. I've got to open up my eyes and realize Point people to Jesus because he is the hope of the world. We need to take notes from Elizabeth. What happened? When she was made aware of who Jesus is, and where, you know, what did she do? Immediately, she believed. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she confessed that Messiah was being born of Mary, that it was Jesus. She gave shouts of blessing. And he's not born yet. He, he hasn't fulfilled his full purpose. He hasn't eliminated uh, sin and death through his death and burial and resurrection. And so she is in this twas the night before part of life. Jesus anticipating. She, what, what, what it was is she had faith. She knew who Jesus was. She put her faith in him. And what did that generate in her? Hope. Because she was aimed towards the source of hope. To Jesus. We need to, lean, we need to learn a little bit from Zechariah too. If you go and read his story in there, he was hesitant to believe the angel. He didn't believe that they were going to have... They were old. You know, they were past their time of... They probably already passed that by. Obviously, though, they were praying for it. But he, when it came to actually being, he didn't believe. And so he was made to be mute. He couldn't talk for the entirety of John's pregnancy. Or John being Elizabeth's pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> he was mute as a kind of punishment for his disbelief until John was born. And then what we get is his, his tongue is let loose. And he's able, he's had a lot of time to think. And he's able to sing, it says, Zechariah's song. I'm going to read the song of Zechariah. Because I think it says a lot as to where they are. And what he's going to sing a song of purpose, not only for Jesus, but he also talks about his son, John, about their mission and about what this is going to accomplish. So this is from Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Zechariah sings. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, he turns to his son John. And you, my child, will be a called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the path of peace. I want to read those last couple verses again because they're very powerful. Pay attention to this. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's the hope that is coming. Zechariah sings this song filled with purpose and prophecy, not only for Jesus, but for his son, John. You will prepare the way for hope. You will point people to hope, to Jesus. The sun is rising and darkness is almost over. Maybe you can see why we here at sunrise bring the light. We bring Jesus. The sun is rising and darkness is almost over. Listen, we, we can get excited and grow our anticipation over Christmas Christmas trees and Christmas presents. But those things are all going to rot. I mean, we're going to throw the Christmas trees out on the dunes here in a month. And all the presents you got, you'll probably end up throwing them away. Eventually. I mean, maybe not immediately. Be polite. But there's, they're going to get, they're going to rot. They're going to get thrown away. And every year the Christmas vibe comes back and makes us excited. Christmas is here. Some of you want to start listening in July to Christmas music. We anticipate all kinds of things. The thrill, I mean, football season's almost here or hunting season's almost here or the summer weather, I can get back on the beach and you're just excited, looking forward to it. It's coming, it's coming. You know, whatever it is you're into. What if we took some time this year as we light the candle of hope and gather together for some perspective? Because here's the reality. As of today, it's been close to 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. That's a long time to maintain anticipation. To look forward to hope. To keep looking to the horizon. It's been close to to 2,000 years since Jesus gave us a promise that he was coming back. And so... In a sense, that puts us in a very similar position to Zechariah and Elizabeth who were waiting. And everyone who lived back then, we can read Isaiah today and it might have just as much relevance to us because we are now walking in darkness. We're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. We are, we are the ones walking in the world full of sin and all the destruction that sin creates And we are the ones who need to hold on to that promise. So how? How do we have hope while we wait? How do we have hope? Anybody need hope? Maybe not right in this moment, but some of you, you're going to need it this evening or in the coming weeks and months. Or maybe someone comes to you and they need hope. Let's listen to what John the Baptist does because he's one of the experts pointing people to hope. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, this is John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. But in John chapter 1, 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he looks and he talks to the crowd that he's gathered and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the reason he's a part of this story 
is because he's the one that points people to hope. That's who we need to be. We need to learn from that to be ones who look to Jesus for hope. And as we wait, as we are in a season of Advent ourselves, we need to realize Jesus is coming. And if you're looking for hope, let's look where John is pointing. To the Lamb of God. To Jesus Christ. Let's pray.